She drove it like she stole it. She stole it. All right. Hey, Seedsters, welcome back. A Positive Jam podcast, Separation Sunday, Season 2, Track 7, A Multitude of Casualties. I'm your host, Sean Westfall. Joining me always is Dan Schwartzman. Say hi, Dan. Hi, everybody. And Michael Brooks-Taylor. Mike, say hi. Hi. <laughs> Maybe I, wait, I should probably do it how my voice actually sounds. So, All hi, right. everyone. Right. There we go. <laughs> Thank there you. There we go. <laughs> we don't want to... Wait, wait. Am I listening to the right podcast? Michael was <laughs> there's way some too fourth, effusive. There's some fourth guy <laughs> out here. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, we are deep into what could easily be called side two. And I think someone either talked about how Stevie Nicks is, if this were the LP, Stevie Nicks is side two, track one, and this is track two. So, so we are deep into side two. We are deep into the journey. Multitude of casualties. So I want to talk about, there's a couple of things I want to talk about about this song, but I'm going to open it up to Dan and Mike for high level thoughts about your sort of initial reaction either when you first heard it or when you most recently heard it. Let's, let's, let's sort of get, get it out there. I think this song, I love it. One of the things I appreciate among the different types of sort of hold steady songs is songs that sound a little bit more like you're adrift or like you're moving sort of fluidly. And this song is about driving. It's about being aimless. And I think it sounds like that. The, she drove it like she stole it. It's kind of like slurred and slow. And the guitars are just this straight ahead, down strum, very, very simple three chord verse progression. And I think it all works really well, especially coming off sort of such a big song in Stevie Nicks. And it's this is the type of observation Daniel tends to make is how songs flow from one to the other. Daniel's looking up like, what? Yeah, I'm doing a Daniel observation here. This song, when I've, I've been in at least one show where they finish Stevie Nicks and someone in the audience sings the first line of a uh, multitude <laughs> of casualties That's to, so cool. to mm. Craig out there, like it gets quiet and then someone goes, she drove it like she stole it. And one time he kicked, he kicked off multitude of casualties after that, I guess, because it was so clear and obvious right. and they just went either they had already planned it but whatever it was like a cool moment and so i think these two songs sort of have some yin and yang going with them from like party mode to sort of the drifting you're kind of on the other side of things and i i love it i love the way it it moves i there's another song it's one of the beat sides off almost killed me only to find it always gets into your mind Daniel, you remember milk this crate one? Mush, milk crate mosh. Milk crate mosh. Also has the same sort of cadence and feeling of like you're driving around slowly. It's summer or something like that. And I just, I love those disproportionate to the kind of energy level. I really love those whole state songs. So this one rates high for me. Very cool. Dan? Yeah, I'm, I like this song. I don't know what to make of it. Like re-listening to it, I'm very curious. I come with the most open mind about this one. It is. I agree with a lot of Mike said, I agree with his point that he took from me of the flow from song to song. 
I'll take a point back from him, which is that I don't think the main guitar line has a single upstrum in it. Feels like it's all downstrum right. the whole time. Yeah, I it's I I like there's a lot I like about this song. It to me it echoes the most banging camp where it's a solid track, it's an album track. It I can flesh this point out, but to me it's almost like the breath after the big Stevie Nicks song. There's a little bit of plot advancement, but there's a lot of recapitulation, a lot of mm-hmm. like here are the things that you should know about as we go into the last part of the album. Sort of right, thing. right, 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 right. But yeah, it, it's it. So I, I don't need to go further than that. It's an, it's an interesting song. Re-listening to it today, I, like there's just a lot of to think about. But I'm not sure what I make of it as a whole. Yeah, it's it's so. What I find interesting about this song, and it kind of echoes what you both just said. What I find interesting about this song is that it kicks off a series of songs between Stevie Nicks and between Resurrection, in which there's no recognizable, ascertainable chorus. Like, none of the next three songs have a really hard-charging, I ain't never been with your little hood rat friend. They don't really have, what's what's the plural of chorus? Cori? Cori? And I find that fascinating, because if you're sussing out how tracks are going to be laid, if, if you're doing a traditional rock album, if you're doing physical graffiti you're going okay well we have should have a ballad here and then a hard rocking thing here and this here and this here and this here and a blues number here and a you know and a, and you know something else here you know they put three songs back to back that really there are sort of sections where you go oh yeah that could stand for a chorus but there isn't really a chorus in the next three songs and i i'm i find that interesting and again this tacks back toward I'm, this is kind of a tortured analogy. And this is of all my analogies about how Separation Sunday echoes the wasteland. This one's a bit tortured. Wasted by the wasteland. So I'm not sure how successful it is. Please tear it apart if you don't agree. But if you read the wasteland, there's five cantos, and they start out in sort of quasi-traditional, recognizable verse that's metered and you can, you can, you you know, it's, it's, it's still, you know, a little difficult to parse all the references, but it's, it's written in an apprehensible meter. As we get into Canto three, four, and five, the verse starts to disintegrate. It becomes less metrical. And again, there are purists out there who would probably ding me on that, but it's not like, you know, traditional sing-songy verse that you would open up and read in poems written even at the same time, you know, like like a Robert Frost poem has a distinct, you know, lyrical meter. And the wasteland starts, as it gets later, it starts messing around with that. And I'm wondering if that's sort of a ref- reflection of how disintegrated things are once Holly leaves the banging camps and goes and takes this, this sort of road trip, Kerouac-esque, Allen Ginsberg, how I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness starving, hysterical, naked sort of uh, journey into the, the latter parts of this narrative. So just kind of wanted to throw that out there. And, and again, if I'm if I'm missing something musically, if there is a chorus that I've missed or the, the, that I, I couldn't detect, call me out on that. So, well, I, I'm curious how you think Chicago, not to anticipate our discussion on that song, but Chicago seemed tired last night to me feels on the more hooky side. Let's ignore the Right. Like, do you? 
I get what you're saying with this track and the Don't Let Me Explode and Crucifixion Cruise as sort of a, there is a, it's a little bit looser and disintegrated, as you said. And I guess the argument is that, yeah, there's a bit of decay on the structure of the album itself, which is interesting. But I, that's the one thing I, sure. as I heard that Chicago to me seems pretty ripping. Right. Yeah. Well, right. don't you don't you think that let's let's assume that what Sean says is accurate, which I am big mistake. Go ahead. <laughs> it's fine. We're just assume just assume for a second that's true that it's less that the internal structure of the songs are is become less important. I think that they interrelate. This song is one of the big sort of inter-song reference payoffs that I think we're getting into the part of the album where it's actually beneficial that it's a concept album because the line is he was getting with her little hood rat friend. We have a whole song about denying that. And that's a huge sort of emotional payoff that I think that maybe there's a more of a reliance now on the songs relating to each other, as opposed to an emphasis of the internal structure within any given song in the second half of the album. Well, and what Sean, with both your points, the connection of Stevie Nicks to Multitude of Casualties reminds me of, I think this was an innovation of Sgt. Pepper's, is the idea of banding and the idea of tracks actually literally flowing together rather than a discrete space. So part one of the Beatles reference, and then the other part is that when you talked about the disintegrated structure, Sean, it reminds you of the second half of Abbey Road, where they have right. the medleys and they're kind of just flowing from track to track. And that's it's conceptual in design. I don't think there's like a story going there, but yeah, that's so those are both things that I think about as far as compliments to what you guys are saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also think one of the major this is one of the bigger thematic episodes of positive jam the first song off almost killed me that starts everything out the kids come around the corner to a multitude of casualties that theme of being sort of at the whim of historical forces or something bigger sort of you're a passive receptacle of all these things that just happen to happen that are beyond your control, but are brutal and scary. That sort of, to me, justifies a little bit the alternative structuring here in the same way that it was justified in Positive Jam. And the other thing, multitude of casualties. I remember when this came out, the wars going on, they were new wars at that time, but that I had that feeling of there are these big forces at play that are sending people I care about into harm's way, that there are casualties mounting up now. And it, this is not a political album, I don't think, but I remember feeling an extra sense of drive and oomph. And in the same way, this song sort of describes a disconnection from alienation. You're just in theaters, just driving around, wandering around, that there was something really the connection of those two ideas that there's all this violence going on that you can't really do anything about and that you're sort of 
trying to disassociate from all of that. All of that is all kind of in this blender of like the song doesn't have to have that much rigidity to it for that reason, I think, because it's building on these bigger ideas. Yeah, I find it interesting that that it starts out sounding like the riffs start out sounding like a punk song. It starts out with like, you could easily overlay drums and bass at a much faster time. But they don't do that. Like they kick it in like, and, and please, you know, tell me guys, if this, if this is like, you know, a regular sort of rock rhythm going on, at least it sounds like, like a traditional rock rhythm to me. And I'm wondering if that is a commentary on... On a number of things, like on a number of things, like like Mike, you just talked about things, things happening in the culture, things happening in the fact that like you couldn't leave a punk rock show without getting hurt back in the day. Yeah, I have all kinds of thoughts going on about this, so I'm I'm still sort of parsing them. But yeah, so, so any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll just support you on that. I think it does feel like a punk song that's kind of being held back a little bit. Like it's a car that can go faster than it's going. And it's kind of that's why I think it feels like a cruising song. There's like a feeling that it's that this song could really blow it out. But it is like deliberately sort of a little bit slower than it could be given the way. it. Yeah. And I agree with the punkiness of it. I was going to bring up the song Adderall, which I think is a B-side off one of their later yeah, albums, yeah, yeah. which has a very similar three chord, all down strums, Ramones type of feel to it. And I love those songs, but it is actually faster. It's actually like more the pace of a punk song than this one. So I think that even goes to your point further, Sean, that it is like a little bit downshifted. Well, and there is definitely a potential reading of this as something of a political song in the way the kids are, or I'm calling them kids, but the characters are disaffected and cut off from society. First of all, just there is a literal one tin soldier was an anti-war song in the 60s. So there's a literal right. anti-war message. But just this feeling of we got off the grid. We couldn't get with all those clever kids. We scrounge around for sustenance. We were nodding off in matinees. It goes again back to Sean, your point in the first episode, Hornets, Hornets. Kids who are just on the fringes of culture and not connecting and not able to participate in culture, whether due to their own fault or something else, and even turning on each other with the him getting with her little Kudrat friend. There's like a lack of it's so the multitude of casualties could be a societal comment, as Mike said, but it could also be the casualties that people cause each other in just the way we are as humans and the way we sort of smash into each other and mess things up for each other. It's hard to get ahead when half your friends are dead. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, and you know, it's funny, you, you should reference that lyric. I always think of, and we heard about this place called the United States. And what we have here is a literal journey across country, you know, deserts and what mostly else? Mostly deserts. Most, mostly, <laughs> de mostly the, the desert tour. And, and deserts <laughs> and, and, and theaters and places and lower town and the citadel. So, you know, I called it this, this, this sort of you know, Jack, Jack Kerouac homage here in, in the song, because this is, you know, Neil Cassidy and Dean Moriarty traveling around, uh, driving across the, you know, the, the country, seeing the United States and, and literally on the road. So there's that aspect to it. There's also 
let's you know let's <laughs> let's also not forget the sort of quasi religious overtones that are in the song. You know, someone who is it Charlemagne? Someone's down in Lower Town, and well, Holly or the analog of Holly is at the five thirty mass. So you have heaven and hell being symbolically represented here as well. It's a fascinating little song. It's it's not one of my favorites on this album, but it's it's fascinating lyrically. Well, and it just really my point earlier when we're starting to touch is that it seems to like encapsulate all these different hold steady vocabulary in right. the song. We get Feminax, which we saw back in the Swish. We have Clever Kids, which have come up a few times. Theaters I've mentioned earlier this season. Lower Town is a place in St. Paul along the Mississippi River. That's come up in other songs. Wade Into the Water comes up in Banging Camp. Boulder, Colorado is like a relatively big touchstone. It comes up in Paddle and the Creeping Thing. Where you, we're getting, also, to me, that's, I think of having never been to Colorado, Kerouac's writing about Denver is one of the like. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge touchstone for him. Yeah. yeah. Dying from New Wave for the second time gets back to the 80s theme. High as hell is a phrase that they use three times on this album. Obviously, Mike said about Little Hood Rat Friend. There's just a lot of like, it's almost like a challenge of to Craig of how many different connections he could make to other stuff that he's written on this song. Yeah, Craig doesn't actually write songs. What he does is he takes lyrics from previous songs throws them up in the air, <laughs> picks, picks four or five phrases and goes, yeah, that's going to be a song. <laughs> of course, I'm being disingenuous. He's a talented man, but I'm just, well, but you're right. It's, it's, it's got the, the entire Petri dish mix of old study tropes and references. So the one new phrase he throws out here was a hook for me because of its reference to the eighties, whether or not intentional is vision quest. Because oh, yeah. Vision right. Quest was, of course, the wrestling movie. It came out in the 80s. That's right. It Matthew Modine. A, Matthew Modine and Madonna and Linda Fiorentino. And oh. was has its issues, but is also, I can quote it, chapter and verse. You know, and that ties into the desert because Vision Quest is something from Native American traditions. and Right. Yeah, so there's just something. There are a few musical things here that are really interesting as well beyond the fact that it it feels to me like uh i i hear 70s rock here more than punk i hear like just but without again without luring it into a higher gear it's like almost all a sections there are short b sections that are thrown in the guitar as i mentioned all down strums a second guitar line comes in later on the organ both when it steps in when Holly was at the Citadel and kind of is pretty, but it also has like sort of this not xylophone or vibraphone, but some sort of bell tone that is just playing these notes, these two notes back and forth, which will is sort of a nod towards the last track on the album. And we talked on the last two episodes about theme music for Charlemagne and then on how the perspective shifts with the musical shift on Stevie Nicks. And here we have the guitar squeal coming in when we find out that... And the night she got born again, he was getting with her little head rough friend. And in the 
right, right, right. That that was actually my next. So if Holly is the hood rat friend, who's the other hood rat friend that Charlemagne is getting with? How many hood rat friends are there? For God's sake, we haven't accurately parsed this. Or is this brings up the question that always fascinates me is who's narrating who's narrating this? How many narrative voices are in this? Are there a multitude of, with apologies of narrative voices? Is there one single one? Because we have this reference to a second hood rat friend. I forgive me. I just like I don't take that much interest in trying to solve those mysteries because get I off, think get off this podcast right now. Get the <laughs> hell off this podcast. <laughs> I will not. I will going to hold my ground. Actually. <laughs> Yeah, I guess Daniel could boot me off if he digitally, <laughs> if he wanted to. But barring that, I'm Wait, gonna, the fact I will that remain allow, right here. We let Sean continue to host, even though he doesn't like cat on the creeping thing. So we have says, a big tent right. approach here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big tent, big big tent. So, I to me, it the takeaway from all of that and the perspective shifts and the ambiguities is just that. To me, it's more a technical achievement of Craig Finn's lyricism that he's figured out ways to not have it matter so much whose perspective it is that you get this collection of shared memories or sort of the story comes across regardless. And in the same way that a camera in a movie might shift perspectives and you'll see something from a different angle. You never have to sort of stop and say, wait a minute, am I now looking over X person's shoulder or whatever? Because the story just flows by you anyway. And so to me, the fact that he took that sort of insight from other art forms and just brought it into the song craft is really the thing that matters to me about the shifts in perspective. And you can try and parse them one way or another. But to me, it's much more of like a holistic experience. So I'm going to be the more boring person probably to ask those <laughs> that's how i really that's genuinely how i feel about it yeah i i i think at some point we should like tackle the big picture of the concept album and its value or not but to your question sean i i was trying to reread little hooder at friend and see if somehow maybe your the you in that song was holly but i don't right. think that that works if we because then all of a sudden Holly is not the one with the Jesus lived and died for all our sins tattoo and everything else. So right, we know Holly was a hood rat. <laughs> hood rats. <laughs> we know that. For, but a hood rat. If it had been the hood rat, then the mystery would be so much easier to solve. Now we finally know that. <laughs> now we finally know that <laughs> there could be multiple uh, rats though that's it's it the, took it's, a whole album but i finally you're finally now, now you we, understand now you we finally, finally know that it. <laughs> you it's, it's, the, it's the hood rat on the grassy knoll we have that's, a whole that's hint of now we find exactly right 45 <laughs> minutes later <laughs> <laughs> i've been singing to you for so long <laughs> So are we at touchstones? Are we at golden nuggets? Are we at that stage? Any other observations about this song? I'm ready for nuggets. Are you guys ready for nuggets? I'm ready for nuggets. Dan, you ready for, for nuggets? I could go for a nugget. Let, let's do up some nuggets, boys. All right. Speaking of nuggets, 
I want to know what Craig Finn's experience of Colorado was that it's like this hyper specific world in his like, so Boulder comes here and it's like, seems like all the drugs come from Colorado in this whole steady universe. Like Colorado is just a giant factory that generates drugs. And well, I will add, but that back in the eighties or, or back in the eighties or back in that time, Colorado was a modicum of leniency when it came to drugs. I mean, like that's, that was kind of like, it's kind of like what, what even Oregon or California is now. I mean, the, the, like no, no one got ski bum culture or like why? Well, because of a multitude of cultures that, that are probably there. University of Colorado is in Boulder, Boulder. right? Yeah. But yeah. That place is freak central, man. And so, yeah, I think that's why it, Probably for someone like Craig in Minneapolis, Colorado held this sort of like, you know, magical. That's a place where like people were free. And it's or for someone like Craig, you could also say that the revolution that happened on the West Coast, it's the wave sort of broke in Colorado. <laughs> and that's that's uh-huh. where it's. So that's one, one way you're reading it. So I, I'm sorry I interrupted. But I just want to say that that might help. That, that might help out yeah. your perspective. No, come to think of it, one of my best buddies from college is. He grew up in Leadville, Colorado, and like he made it out to the East Coast and is like a brilliant guy and uh, went on to like a a really impressive academic career. But he's from a sort of nowheresville town in a way. A lot of his friends would come out and visit us and they like just smelled like they smoked like three packs of cigarettes a day and like B.O. And they were kind of dumb punks and like great guys like a ton of fun to be around and everything, but just like a real sense that this buddy of mine sort of escaped a life that was a lot sort of more rap, like dryer sheet intensive type of life. Uh, And so I get that about Colorado. I think it's maybe a little bit funny to think of Denver today and Colorado today as this kind of yuppie refuge a little bit. So that this, I'm sure it still has all these elements now, but like when you go into Denver, it certainly doesn't have that totally grimy vibe to it, I think. So anyway, I just, I love, I think it's like any Colorado reference coming up in this catalog is, is really fun for that reason. Cause it's just like, it, it's so loaded and, and Craig Finn brings so much to it every time. Mm-hmm. Dan? Funny bit of chemistry is, uh good line and you know they it's it's a good line because it sounds cool and it's i swore they used it more than once but i only i can't i couldn't find another use of it funny bit of chemistry for the direct meaning of how a cool car makes a guy seem that much cooler and then they throw in history after so you've got the don't know much about chemistry don't know much about history sort of setup. <laughs> nice very nice nice but then also the Funny bit of chemistry because in the previous verse, essentially Holly is smuggling drugs or something, right? She said, I shipped it out of from Boulder, packed in coffee grounds or wrapped around it. So, you know, and to Mike's point about Colorado. And so I just think that's, uh, I like that line quite a bit. That's probably what I would think most of from this song if I hadn't re-listened to it now. Other small thing, wandering the Sonoma. I'm not sure what, you know, the references suggest that it's to Sonoma County in California or the Sonoma area, Valley, Sonoma Valley. But 
do people call it the Sonoma? I don't know. I'm not. It's, I'm, it, yeah. There also Sonoma in Arizona, which is like gorgeous and rocky and desert-esque and and but i've never heard i've never heard anyone call it the sonoma they just call it sonoma so so maybe your 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 reading of that is more accurate i thought it was a desert but i apparently that doesn't stand up to sort of like factual interrogation that was just that's what i thought it was based on listening to the song and like not trying to find out ever so. <laughs> cool. but that was my experience hey you can't take it away from me i were nobody's going to try to do that michael no one's going to try to do that any more golden nuggets from either of you a couple more the pattern of i think it's keyboards i'm not sure but those little like chimes at the end of the song i think that's another three note pattern dun 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 church bells sounds like church bells so yeah, i just yeah, want to yeah. call yeah. that out Another three-note pattern, another sort of church bell type of deal. I have the word downstrums written down, but we've hit that. And then this is the first time I think we can give someone on Genius.com credit. Three buttons, a callback to Holly's three open buttons. Oh, yeah. On her chest. Yeah. I never, I had never gotten that one, but Genius Annotation, three contributors. Rev uh, Revked at Revked. Congratulations. You spot you could have published this in a literary journal. It's a really <laughs> astute observation. Three button callback. Love that. Those are my other my other odds and ends. Sean? I love the line. At least in dying, you don't have to deal with New Wave for a second time. And I think someone in Genius references that, but I, but I heard it too when I, when I first heard this, which is, you know, the, the 80s almost killed me. Let's not recall them quite so fondly. I love how Craig is a lyricist. Is, is You know, Mike, you talked about his fondness for, for Colorado. He's fond of the 80s, but he doesn't want to ever, ever go back there. He, he doesn't want either the drugs or the New Wave music to come back, he's done with that because they literally and metaphorically tried to kill him. So I, I, I like that line. I also like, so the, the song One Tin Soldier, do you guys know what that's from? Have you ever seen, do you guys, you guys, have you guys heard, heard the song One Tin Soldier? We sang it at summer camp. Uh, okay. I went to a religious summer camp as a child and it was in the rotation. Go ahead and hate your neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. That that one, right? So that song is from the movie. Do you guys know what movie it's from? No? I'm showing my age here. Billy Jack. Have you guys ever seen or heard of Billy Jack? So, guys, I'm telling you, in the early 70s, Billy Jack was a franchise of movies that started out by this writer, actor, director, and his wife, I forget his name. He actually became a politician later in life and tried to run for, he became like a libertarian politician. But they independently financed this movie, Billy Jack. And basically it takes place, Billy Jack is, it sort of ticks off all the all the tropes of movies of this area. Billy Jack is a Vietnam vet who's half Native American, half white, and he knows a martial art. And so basically he and his his girlfriend in the movie, but his wife in real life, the main star of this movie, live in this sort of like hippie-esque 
commune that's outside the small town. And of course, these tensions arise from, you know, the sort of like cops in, and, and hard asses in the small town, but which again, it's in, in the desert somewhere. It's either in the California desert or in the Arizona desert. I can't actually remember where, but, but it, it's shot out in the desert. And of course, the, you know, the, some bad stuff happens between the cops and the commune. People get beat up. Some pretty violent things happen. And of course, Billy Jack has to go into town and using only Kung Fu or, or whatever martial art is, kick everybody's ass. You know what I ass. think I'm going to do then? Just for the hell of it. Tell me. I'm going to take this right foot. And I'm going to whop you on that side of your face. Kids my age, and I was actually like in my very young when this movie came out, were like infatuated with Billy Jack, this guy who knew karate. This is a long-winded way of saying that one tin soldier I don't think ends up as an accident because it does have desert implications. Like anyone for whom that reference resonates will immediately think of communes and deserts and nefarious shit that happened in the desert. And again, if those of you, some of people who might be listening, even, you know, who might be paying more attention, might reference like, you know, the Manson commune and how quickly that all literally went to hell and did some damage. So I just think that's an interesting, that's an interesting cultural touchstone for him to include in this song, primarily because if you do the math on it, it's sort of like, takes you down some roads you go ah i see oh yeah desert but yeah so that's a yeah that's my golden nugget for 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 this episode rich nugget yeah that yeah. is that is one hell of a nugget i'd say that's billy jack <laughs> it looks great i'm gonna and doesn't I'm gonna watch it watch doesn't it. it yeah yeah <laughs> Hap i was reading wikipedia the guy knows hap keto <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. that is it? Have, okay, cool. So, I'm, so thanks for for clarifying the martial art here. No, I just no I just like saying hapkido. <laughs> I've never heard of hapkido before. Well, ne, ne, back ne, up, buddy. I know hapkido. You know like, hapkido. Ex, excuse that's me. Right. <laughs> and and another thing about that movie is that apparently Billy Jack, like whenever we'd fight, he would fight barefoot. Like he would like take off. He's in the <laughs> desert. He's in the fucking desert. And he would like, if I remember correctly, I'm sure there are listeners who can who can correct us, but like he would take off his cowboy boots and fight barefoot. Like he wouldn't wear his cowboy boots when he fought. And he wore this weird, like flat, like hat. Very cool, just, cool looking hat. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> when you need him, he's always there. So 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 do either either of you are obviously looking at this. So who's 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 the actress in this? What's her name? Dolores Taylor. Dolores Taylor. So, so Tom Laughlin is the husband. Tom Laughlin. That's that's the guy's name. Dolores Taylor said that one time she met Marlon Brando at a party, and Brando literally pulled her aside and sat her down, and went on for like twenty minutes about how her acting on in that film was some of the most natural act film acting he had ever seen. Like imagine Marlon Brando pulling you aside and saying, wow. so that could be one more reason to, to watch the movie. Not much happened to either of those, except that they compounded on that franchise after that movie, that independently made movie ended up making a lot of money. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Half they, a nugget there. Yeah. 
According to Wikipedia, a budget of 800,000, box office of 32 and a half million, including rentals. It may, again, it was, it was a cultural phenomenon back that time. That's I'm surprised, like, kid, surprised kids today don't know about it. So. 400X. Pretty good. That's exactly. Uh, uh, um, um, Regular GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was going to have to say it. Yeah, we're, we're deep enough up. into the podcast we can date it. So there you go. Right, there's right, a there's right. a reference that won't make any sense in three weeks. But there you go. Right. Um, so I think that we've exhausted the golden nuggets. We've been included in the multitude of casualties uh, on this episode. I think that's it for this episode. Anything? Any last thoughts, Dan? Mike? The last the last line is good. The last line, like it feels like we should mention the last line. It doesn't. Stand out that much for me. Yeah. Apparently, Tad really likes it. Yeah, youth right. services always find a way to get their bloody cross into your druggy little messed up teenage life. That might be life. like a yeah. a moral in some sense. So, and, and and foreshadowing for what's to come. Cool. Thank you for joining us on Track Seven: Multitude of Casualties. Next week, we'll be looking at "Don't Let Me Explode," which is one of Mike's favorite songs. Mike loves this song. Yeah. So we're looking forward to, to hearing him hold forth on that. He he won't give a shit about the narrative perspective or the, the perspective, but he will wax poetic about this song. So we're looking forward to that. Once again, a positive jam. I'm Sean. I'm Mike. And I'm Daniel. And we'll I'm see Sean. you. I'm Sean. I'm Mike. <laughs> I'm Dan. We're the positive we're jam. Positive jam. <laughs> 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 see you see you next week everyone thanks for joining you always us managed to get your bloody cross into my druggy little mess up <laughs> thanks for listening to a positive jam as ever we're approaching the end of this season and it's been a lot of fun so we hope you're enjoying it as well hey if you're still listening Nobody entered our contest last week about Stevie Nicks. If you'd like to win a copy of either the Whole Steady's new album, Open Door Policy, or Separation Sunday, just email us and tell us one thing about the A vs. B section in Stevie Nicks, the song, that makes it distinct. You don't even have to guess what we missed from our discussion. Email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com, though you can also hit us up at mbrooksTaylor, at Sean Westfall, or at Daniel Shortman on Twitter. All song rights belong to the artist. We found the Billy Jack video on YouTube. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Get ready for a 3-4 production next week. <laughs>